Welcome to Gather In, where you'll hear stories of conversion to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you have an interesting story to tell, please go to our Instagram page or send us an email to gatherin at proton.me. I'm your host, Murray Seth. Welcome, everybody, to the Gather In podcast for this week. We are joined today by Oleg Luvinsky from Ballarat in Victoria in Australia. Oleg is an old friend of mine. We've known each other for many years. I've been trying to think when it was, Oleg, that we, that we first met, and I can't remember. Neither can I. So <laughs> it was a long time ago. But, uh, two or three decades. Uh, two or three decades? Um, gee, Maybe. it could be that long. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I've been in the church 40 years. Um, yes, 40 years Wednesday. No, tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've both been um, in the church and in the same stake for quite a bit of time, but with uh, the growth of the church and boundary changes and additional stakes being formed, we've ended up in different stakes even though our wards, uh, my home ward of Geelong and your home ward of Ballarat, actually border each other. Uh, so we're now in different stakes. And for quite a while, I was, the, I was a high councilman uh, in our stake responsible for Ballarat Ward. And uh-huh. that was the time when I got to know most people in Ballarat Ward uh, that I know now. Some of, those, some of those older faces are gone, as, they, as we all eventually do. Uh, so, you know, one of the things I'm doing, uh, you know, wanting to do is, is, is capture all these, uh, capture all these conversion stories before people pass onto the other side of the veil. Cause it's a lot, e- it's a lot easier to record those stories now than later. Yes. And, uh, you have a birthday coming up on Wednesday, I believe. Yes. Yes. And it's, uh, and it's the anniversary Tomorrow, my um, baptism, oh, 40 so years ago. So you were baptised the day before your birthday? Yes. Back in 1983. That's right. So, Oli, can we just go back in time a little bit now? I am. As far as you like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I actually want to get, we had a little bit of chat, bit of a chat earlier today um, about your history, yes. and it's very interesting. Um, and in some ways, uh, you know, not unlike mine. Um, but I, I think oftentimes conversion to the church and to the gospel and, and to Jesus Christ, and those things can all happen, you know, at different times perhaps. But oftentimes yes. it starts in our childhood uh, and, and can stem from our upbringing uh, yeah. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your upbringing and where you were born and maybe tell us about the origins of the surname oh, and your first name, actually, because that's obviously not the typical Aussie surname. It's not an Anglo-Saxon name. Um, so tell us a little bit, bit about your history going right back to when you were born. Well, OK, I was born in Germany, post-war, and actually... If I count back nine months from my um, from my birth, I was conceived as probably a celebration of 
liberation from my parents who had been uh, incarcerated by the Germans. Right. Um, in a labor camp. Okay. Um, they had a bit of time. My uh, older brother was born in Poland um, under German, German occupation there while mum was working for the Germans. This was before they didn't need her, um, her skills anymore and, and shipped her and my family into a labor camp in, in Germany. Um, so my father died when I was two, largely from the treatment he received in the Soviet prison. Um, anyway, so mum wanted to get away from Europe as far as possible after all. She was born in Russia before the revolution, so she sure. had to escape the Bolsheviks to Poland. Uh, and, and I think she changed her name with her mother. And, and a lot of changed names, so Levinsky is a conjured name. I've got no idea what our name was. Because uh, she was working for the French um, after the war, and they were happy to help her change her ID to avoid being repatriated to Russia, uh, which would have spelled a complete, uh, absolute doom for, for her and her family. She had a, a dying husband and two little children on her hand, so she was desperate to um, to avoid um, being being in Russian hands again. Yeah. So, uh, at age of three, we sh we shipped out to Australia and uh, spent ten years in migrant camps from uh, forty nine to fifty nine. Okay. Before finally, mum was naturalised and got a job as a teacher in Nil, Western Victoria. Oh, okay. We were there a couple of years and then moved to Horsham. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, just, do you want more uh, of that? Just one interesting thing, Oleg. I said we had a few similar things happening. Your family uh, yeah. are from Russia. My family yes. are also from Russia. Well, on that, on okay. on my on my father's side. That's where the name Seth comes from. It's the um, it's the end of a, a longer Russian name, Shikhan Seth. Okay. So there you go. There's a. There's something in common. Mum was born in Ukraine. Yes. My mother's born in Ukraine. So um, doubtless I've got some distant relatives there in all that conflict and turmoil now. So I have no idea what my, uh, who my long-term you know, distant uh, relatives are. Yeah. All I, I can't get back beyond my mother in my family history. Right. Yeah, it's it's difficult. I've I've luckily been able to go back several generations. So, uh, you know, I've probably done a little bit better. My father was born in Australia, uh, and I was obviously born in Australia as well. So, okay. So, uh, you found yourself here in Australia with your mother, your yes. brother. Yes. Uh, but there was there was also. There was also a sister. My mother adopted a, a, a teenage girl during the war in Poland. <clears throat> she came out with us and, and took our name. Um, right. She had a tragic life. And, and uh, yeah, we lost track, touch of it with her when, when she grew up and, and left and, and uh, eventually tracked her down in her early 70s. And she was in a nursing home for Huntington's career sufferers. Okay. It's a dreadful disease. You, yeah. Do you know anything about it? No, I don't actually know I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. You don't know you've got it until you're an adult, basically, and by that time you've passed it on to your children. 
Oh, okay. So yeah, that, that's what happened to her and her children. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, well, since... so he he you were in Australia, a young family with um, so a single mother, you, you a widowed mother. Your your father had died yes. before you came out here. Yes. Yes. And uh, you were growing up in country Victoria, in Nil. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. in Benalla. Sorry? In, in the Mogan camp. We were in Mogan camp, Benalla, till 59, and oh, then okay. moved to Nil. Yeah. Oh, the best, okay. part of my child, best part of my child was on the Broken River in Benalla. Like okay. a very thin dial. Okay. Hmm. And so um, how was your childhood? Great. I, like I said, we lived on the edge of town, near the river. Yeah. Um, and that was our playground. Um, and I had this cosmopolitan bunch of friends, uh, Poles and Russians and um, Latvians and Estonians. We were called Bolts. You know, the Italians and Greeks were called the Bolts, but we were called Bolts because we came from the, from the Baltic Sea. Right. Okay. And uh, for us, it was a good time, but for our parents, it was dreadful. My mother was stuck there for ten years, trying to yeah. get out. Yeah. Uh, you know, trying to get a home. It wasn't a because there was a yeah it was a well it was like a ghetto almost. Yeah. Um, drunk, drunken parties on the weekends and and us kids were unsupervised and got into all sorts of mischief. Um, <laughs> not a happy time for my mother. Yeah. Yeah, great for us. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah. So. Um... You went went through school. Where where did you attend school? Well, started Benalla, my my first year in high school, Benalla, and then uh, nil the next two years, and then um, they decided Mum's skills as a French teacher was better uh, served in the bigger school, so they moved it to Horsham, and that's where we stayed until I left school. Okay, so you uh, graduated from high school in. In Horsham? Well, I graduated. I, I wasn't I, I wasn't a student at all. My mother kept pushing me. I, I failed year eleven. And I got through after second time, second try. Failed yeah. year twelve. Uh, and mum wanted me to do it again. So I was very malleable. I wasn't very rebellious at all. So I just kept being prodded along, pushed along, and getting worse and worse. And after I failed the second time, she wanted me to do it again. I, this time I put my foot down and said, that's enough, I've had it. I was, uh, I'm, I'm getting out of here. So I, yeah. I left and moved to Melbourne. Okay. And uh, started as a, as a door-to-door salesman and then finally got a job in a workshop, uh, Country Roads Board Workshop as a clerk. Okay. And then uh, library in the city. And then I left all that and became an actor. Uh, yes, on I, jobs. I, I, yeah. I, knew you had, I knew you had some experience in in theatre or on screen. Yeah. Yes, yes, and then the the late Jack Charles was a friend of mine. We lived together, worked together. Um, okay. Yeah. Fantastic. And and something I haven't asked you about your growing up years. Were you attending church, uh, any sort of church through your childhood? No. Um. When we were in Nil, the, the, the Methodists got hold of us because we had, had no church. Um, while we were in the migrant camp, we'd go to Melbourne for our holidays. or So I'd see a Russian church maybe once or twice a year. Yeah. And uh, that was Russian Orthodox, which I was brought up as. Uh, in Nil, the Methodists got hold of us. And, and then in uh, Horsham, the, the 
the no the, the Presbyterians and Nil and the Methodists and Horsham. Eventually, Mum tried the Church of England and uh, finally wound up with the Salvation Army. Okay, okay, so that was, that was after I'd left Horsham. Okay, so I'm, I'm guessing you probably wouldn't describe your family as as deeply religious, but uh, no, slightly religious. No. Slightly religious. No, my mother, my mother was. She said. In, in the concentration camp with the Soviets at the uh, beginning of the war in Poland, she said she found God in, in prison. Yeah. Uh, was, uh, there was, um, there's actually a fascinating correlation between her mother, herself and myself in, in a courtroom scene. And my grandmother was uh, almost uh, condemned to death during the revolution. Um, and it was only because one of the one of the tribunal that was judging her recognized there's a nurse that looked after him while when he was a wounded soldier that she got out of that one and uh, and in that situation when she's facing it well, practically facing a fire you hear the shot reverberating outside in the courtyard she felt this uh, peace go through her and uh, a calmness and and, uh, and no uh, some sort of a light of hope. And at the same time, my mother, during the Second World War, was um, sentenced to 10 years in, um, in the Arctic, some Russian gulag in the Arctic, just before the Germans attacked Russia. Right. And, uh, and uh, she said, asked the, her prosecutor, how, how long do you think I'll last? And he said, oh, I'll give it two years, maybe at the most. And she said, we don't know. She said, and she, said she felt this peace. Um, go through her and uh, no there's a light in the tunnel and this is this isn't going to happen and uh, as it was just on the train being shipped to russia was bombed bombed by a german plane and she went back towards the Germans and, and escaped and my, my father miraculously, miraculously escaped as well and then there was i in the paris um courtroom it wasn't facing death but i was facing the loss of my custody of my my boy yeah, and uh, seemed uh, everything was against me. The lawyers, the money—they had the money, the power, everything—and darkness was was sort of gathering around me. And at that moment, a light came on somewhere in my soul, and um, I seemed to be assured that thing everything would be okay. And it was, and I, I did witness the, the the court case, and I came home with my son. Okay, can we can we just can we just can we just backtrack a little bit there, Oleg? Sure. Um, Yes. Can you tell us a story about how you, why and how you ended up in Paris with the custody of your son? Well, my, my first wife, Bridget, was French, and uh, we were living in South Gippsland. Idyllic little paradise. Yeah. But uh, our, our marriage was souring. We had a little boy, and uh, the marriage wasn't going well. It was souring, actually. And, and uh, along came this German backpacker. Yeah. Now... All this, all this sort of chance thing, looking back, it almost seemed as if it was deliberate. It happened deliberately to set me on my, on my path, my spiritual path. Yeah. He, he'd been working in some mine in Western Australia, quit his job, had earned some money, um, was lazing on a beach in Albany and decided to head for Melbourne. Got a lift, which took him to Melbourne in, in a couple of days. Zoom, zoom. Uh, didn't like it, so he got on the on the highway to head uh, along the coast to Sydney and was picked up by the boyfriend of a girl who just moved in with us. 
who brought him over Hillendale to our doorstep. And it was near Christmas. I said, make yourself at home. Yeah, we've got a little orchard there by the creek. Set your tent up, use our facilities. And, uh, <laughs> and there he was. Oops, you've disappeared, Ollie. Uh, that's oh. right. That was just my wife trying to call me. Oh, okay. Uh, hang on. Just, I just, I'll just I'll tell my I'll tell my son to call and not service. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. Organized. Yes. Okay. So, anyway, so they 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 paired off and and um, decided to leave the country and um, go through Asia and back to France. Oh, hang, Which hang, threw hang, me... on, hang on two secs, Oleg. I think we missed something there. Did who, we? Who, who paired off? The, the the German backpacker and my wife. The German backpacker took off with your wife. Yes. Right. Okay. So you so, you will now have second thoughts about ever allowing a German backpacker into your <laughs> life. <laughs> no offense to um, any backpackers. No, no, no. It's okay. But um, so I found myself <clears throat> on the hippie, in the hippie culture thing, looking for answers. That was the beginning of my spiritual journey. And I, and I was finding things were just working for me. Um, I, I felt very blessed <laughs> in my tragic situation. Um, yeah. I, I found myself in North Queensland, not far from where you are, in the Atherton Tablelands. Yeah. I met... Uh, met this guy at a party and um, mentioned that uh, I was in the area and he said, oh, I'm, I'm going away for a while. Do you mind looking after my house for me? It's in the rainforest out there. And he drew, drew me a map. And uh, so next day I found this little Shangri-La cottage in the beautiful rainforest, setting above a creek. And uh, I never saw him again. <laughs> it, was, it was there, lock, stock, kitchen, Clothing, books, um, meditation. Um, it was built for meditation, this, this little house yeah. in a commune called Zen Colony. Uh, and I was there for three and a half months until uh, one of his ex-girlfriends turned up and it seemed right that I should move on and she should take over. And that's when I headed south, uh, headed for home and got waylaid at Nimbin. And uh, there I got into Buddhism. Oh, Okay. So very, that's a very nutshell story. There's so much in there that <laughs> very entertaining stories yeah. um, throughout, throughout all. So would have you called yourself a Buddhist for a, a period of time in your yeah. life? About Buddhist well, in way? Um, I started with this uh, Buddhist um, meditation um, center thing. Um, and uh, when, once I got into Buddhism, I said, this is Buddhism. I've been a Buddhist all my life. The precepts were, you know, just just lovely, and and it was very gentle faith, and, and uh, so I continued with them, and um, eventually we um, got down to near Wiseman's Ferry on the Hawkesbury. Um, they bought a piece of land yeah. in the Darug National, yeah. and they set up this monastery, 
So I, I and three others, no, four others. There was Brian, Debbie, myself, we were the lay people, and there was Ilsa Lederman, the, the meditation teacher, and Prakantapala, the Buddhist monk. The five of us started this um, monastery, lay community place called Wat Buddha Dhamma. And I was there for three and a half months when I got um, a message from Bridget, my wife. She'd landed in uh, Perth with our son. Yeah. And uh, wanted me to come over. So <laughs> I was living for my keep. I had no money. Yeah. No money. There's no, not even unemployed. No, yeah. no doll, no nothing. I was working for my keep. Yeah. And she sent me the money for the bus fare. And knowing that uh, I'd be dependent on it, I kept the money and hitched from Sydney to Perth. And it was door-to-door -door service all the way. Like I said, things just happened to fall my way wherever I went. Um, and uh, I was there for six weeks or so, and, and uh, I couldn't see any future uh, at all. She was still hoping that her partner was going to follow her back to Australia, which didn't happen. So she took off and, and uh, joined him in, in Israel. And I headed back east, not knowing where I was going to go, but wound up in my mother's home. And it seemed right that I should stay there. Yeah. And six months later, I heard that Bridget had died. Okay. And it was, yeah. And then, then uh, I had to get my son back from okay, Paris. So, he's, he's... Okay. So she died in Paris. Yes. So yes. she would have been quite young when she died. 27. It was tragic. She she picked up a, um, a bug in Indonesia or somewhere on the way through Asia. Yeah. And was and was treated for it when she got to Paris initially, and it apparently was cured, but it would no, it was dormant. It was dormant in the system, and then when she left Australia again later on, and was travelling through Yugoslavia somewhere, it broke out again. It was like a little Pac-Man eating yeah. away. Yeah. Inside her. And when they got her to a hospital in Austria, it was in the liver. And they, the mother arrived and they said, it's pretty hopeless. She said, we, you know, she rang the French and they said, we've got better surgeons, better equipment. And she had flown to Paris. It was middle of winter. It must have cost a fortune to fly through, uh, you know, unconscious in, in our sort of operating situation. And they just kept chasing the infection until it got to the eyes. And, and the mother said, no, that's it. Uh, Forget it, stop, and she died the next day. Terrible, horrible. I knew nothing about it until it was all over. Yeah, well, that's, mm. that's quite tragic. So, so when she passed mm. away, your son was yes. there with her. With, yes. And um, then you had to go to, to, to Paris to get custody of your son. Yes. So you could bring him back to Australia. Yes. And, and I was, I guess, again, I say, barefoot, long haired, no money, no passport, nothing. And uh, within a week, I was over there with uh, court order giving me sole custody, with uh, a return ticket for my son, um, with some money as well, and instructions to grab the kid and run like hell back to the airport before they get the litig litigation going. But that didn't happen. And um, I was stuck there for eight months. Living on the charity of strangers. Wow. Um, against all odds. Everybody's saying, no, you've got no hope. They've got the money, they've got the power, their contacts and everything. Um, no. Um, 
<laughs> with God, everything is possible. Yeah. And I, I had I had that revelation before I left that your son will be returned to you as long as you do nothing that you'll be uh, ashamed of or feel guilty about. And I understood that to uh, love my enemy and turn the other cheek and all that good goody goody Bible stuff. Yeah. And and I discovered I discovered there's actual power in virtue. Yeah. Actual power, virtue. Yeah. The, the, my, my enemies were were terrified of me. I, I wouldn't hurt a fly. <laughs> I just <laughs> couldn't get me out. So in in this time that you found yourself in in Paris fighting for custody of your son, uh, you yes. had to learn to speak French at the time to to be able to do that. Or sorry. You had to learn to speak French at the time to be able to do that. I had some. I had school French, and and uh, I think being Russian, we're we're pretty good at picking up languages. I think we're known for that. My yeah. mother was a linguist, so okay. I grew up in a migrant camp, picking up Russian, French, Polish, um, not French, but learning French at school and and with a French wife, mixing with French society. Uh, I picked up a bit here and there. Yeah. But once I had got to Paris and I had to understand my son, because by the time I got to him, his English was gone. He was speaking French. Yeah. Uh, and having to understand judges and policemen, um, I picked it up very, very quickly, very yeah. quickly. Okay. And there was, like between court sessions, there would be about six weeks. Every time there was some sort of court appearance, all right, then come back in six weeks' time. Next session, six weeks' time. Yeah. So it took forever. And then when I won, won the first case, um, they appealed. And so the ball got rolling again. Oh, no. And I realized, I realized in the end that the strategy was to, to try and um, you know, dry me out because they knew I had a return ticket and I had no money. Yeah. And the law, the law was on my side. I didn't know that. The law was on my side. Yeah. The judges were always very always very kind and, and uh, yeah but I kept I kept turning up like a bad penny yeah yeah okay so um, maybe maybe we should uh, fast forward a little bit at this stage and just get uh, close to closer to the time where you uh, somehow became a member of the church uh, where, where, where were you when this happened? Well, I came with Horsham. I, I brought my boy back to Horsham to my mother's place. Yeah. And by this time, I knew <clears throat> I had a pretty strong testing that I was a child of God, a, a much loved. And um, oh. obviously, she hadn't got the message. Um, sorry, sorry. Yes. You, just, you just dropped out for a second there. Um, Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So, can you just back backtrack a bit? You 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 know found out you were a child of God, much loved, and yeah. And and I I had a faith, and I was looking for somewhere to share it with someone, to people of of the same, um, you know, makeups, uh, same ideas. Yeah. So I looked at I went around checking out churches, the Buddhist, another. Well, I've given up on the Buddhists because by this time I, I was pretty fixed on God. And uh, I tried the, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses. I looked at, at any church um, and nowhere could I find um, 
comfortable. Yeah, no, I wasn't comfortable anywhere. They they were all seemed to be artificial, like I say, man man made. Yeah. And eventually, I I gave up. Now that I'll just do my own thing. I'll carry on. I've got I had good friends who who respected my feelings, and actually, I was in some sort of a uh, held in some awe because of my exploits in Paris and and what I'd gone through. Mm. Um, and anyway, so I gave up on looking for for like-minded uh, Christians, and, uh, and 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 then these missionaries turned up. This was nineteen eighty, not not that long after I came back from from Paris. Okay, so at and, some uh, stage, at some stage, you you sort of drifted from Buddhism towards yes. Christianity. Yes, yes, that yeah. that happened within Paris. Okay, that happened in Paris. Okay. Yes. Okay, so by the time the the uh, two Latter Day Saint missionaries uh, arrived on your door, you had a you had a testimony that God loved you. Yes, and and was definitely interested in your life. Yes, and and I knew that I had to try and do my best to live by his uh, his rules. Okay, keep him happy, <laughs> okay. so to so to speak. Yeah, I keep if I kept him happy. He'd keep, keep me happy. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's a pretty good arrangement. Yes. So tell us about the young, uh, the young missionaries who knocked on your door. Elder, Elder Whitaker and Elder Taylor. Um, I was impressed with them because Elder Taylor had a, had a strong speech impediment. Yeah. Um, he, and he was the main speaker. He struggled to, to talk, and yet he, he, he battled on with his uh, disability, and that was impressive. And I had a lot of exposure to them. They kept coming back. I, I never told them to go away and don't come back. And also, uh, any, any of my friends that accepted an appointment with them would invite me to, to come be with them because they felt secure with, with me because I, I was like some sort of a guru to, to them. They felt safe with, the, with my presence. So I got plenty of exposure to these missionaries, and uh, and eventually they were going to bring in another couple of missionaries and and a and a film and a big presentation, um, and it never happened. They were called away, so that was the end of them. Okay, good riddance, more or less, and I've, and on I go with my little life, and then three years later, in '83, here they were, two more, Elder Munson and Swenson, one tall. Blonde, and um, I think they came from Arizona. One from Arizona, I forget where that one came. Probably Utah. And uh, I was coming from the back of the house, and here was Mum fending off these two tall young men. No, no, I already got the Book of Mormon. No, no, my house has been blessed already. No, and then <laughs> they kept pushing in, but but I said, "Hey guys, leave her alone. Come and talk to me." So Mum escaped into the house, and I sat him under the apricot tree down the back. It was a hot summer's day. Not long yeah. before my birthday. Yeah. And uh, they brought out their little, some kind of boulder, demonstrate, I don't know, scriptures, things, I don't know what else. I said, here we go again. But this time, something, something deep inside disturbed me. And at the time, I thought it was a big question. Could there possibly be something in what they're saying, any truth there. And and it 
suddenly became the most important thing in my life to find out. Yeah. And they said, well, you, you've got to ask God. And even though I had strong faith, I'd never prayed. Okay. So that night when <laughs> mum and I can were asleep, it was dark, nobody watching. I got on my knees, humbled myself. I don't know what I said. Something about Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith. But this um, powerful feeling went through me, somewhere beyond the tip of my head to beyond the tip of my toes. Get in the water. Get baptized. Don't worry about the doctrine. Don't dispute it. And I knew it was I knew where it was coming from. And the next day, the, the missionaries came back, and I said, "Well, boys, it uh, looks like I got to get baptized, and you're the ones to do it." And they <laughs> they nearly fell over backwards. <laughs> um, I said, "Oh, but yeah, you got to know a few things. You know, you know you've got to come to church. Not not just a simple dunking, and that's it. You know, we we uh, pay tithing. That's no problem." I really, I really had a testimony of tithing before I joined yeah. the church. I, I realized the money, by this time I was on single parent benefits, and I knew the money, I wasn't earning it. It was coming to me, and I did my best to, to uh, you know, give it, use it for my mother's sake or charity or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I had a testimony of tithing before I even saw the Mormons. And, uh, yeah, tithing is no problem. Fasting once a month, yeah, well, that's no problem. Um, I was ready, so they took me to church. Fantastic. It was just a dance, a dance hall they used at the time. There's about twenty members, with, including kids. And uh, I thought, this is not what's what's so special about these guys. They they just look like an ordinary bunch of people, um, <laughs> singing the same sort of Christian hymns and same sort of Bible stories. But seems like I've got to be with them. Um, so I got baptized in the river. And uh, the, the branch president, David Rigglesworth, said, well, we'll see you in church next Sunday, won't we? Because I think it was a Monday. So oh, no, it's six days away. I could, anything could happen. As it was, my son wanted to go to Melbourne. Oh, got it. We're, we're, we're recording now. I'm not going to miss anything now. <laughs> All right. Okay, so uh, we were just talking about your first day at church, Oleg, in, uh, in Horsham. Oh, by the way, I was looking through my memorabilia. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. There's a picture of uh, that man in the middle with the whiskers. Yeah, that's you, huh? That was me and, and the little band that started up that uh, Buddhist monastery community centre. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for, thanks for showing us that. That's very interesting. Mm. Okay, let's just uh, take off again from um, your first day at church in, in Horsham. You just you were baptised on okay. a Monday? Yes. Church was on the following Sunday. The following, the following Sunday, I hitched off to Melbourne with my, with my boy. I had an interesting experience with a friend and a, and a glass of wine. She offered me a glass of wine and I took it and... Uh, didn't feel very good about it. Uh, I looked at it and remembered, well, realized that I'd made some sort of commitment about alcohol. And um, I took a sip and didn't feel very good at all. So when she wasn't looking, I tossed the wine away into the grass and um, 
Anyway, we came back to Horsham and the following Sunday came up and it seemed I had to go to church. Hmm. Oh, so you, okay. actually, you actually missed the first Sunday? Yes, yes. We were away at, at, at my friend's place in Melbourne. Okay. With that glass of wine. Okay. <laughs> On the so, Sunday. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So you repented and went to church the uh, following Sunday. <laughs> so the following Sunday, I went went to church and into that old dance hall, and um, I stepped in the doorway, and uh, they were clearing up the beer bottles and the cigarette butts from the previous night's uh, shenanigans, and uh, one of the ladies looked up and saw me come in and smiled, yeah, welcome smile. And again, this this sort of um, like that experience I had with my first prayer and testimony, uh, this powerful feeling went through me beyond the head, tip of my head to beyond the tip of my toes and it said, you're home, you're home. And I've never looked back, yeah. never looked back. That's a good feeling. Mm. That's a good feeling. Yes, it was. I relate to that, yeah. And it took me about a year before I bought my first white shirt. I mean, yeah. nobody pushed me. Nobody, nobody egged me on or, or tried to convert me, tried to you know, influence me in any way. Um, as I said, a year before I bought my first white shirt and, and one day Bob Lyons, who you know, came to take me home teaching and I was there and I came out in my thongs and, and uh, flapping shirt tails and I cleared his throat and said, look, Ollie, you know, when, when we go out uh, home teaching, we, we actually represent the Lord and, and we should make an effort to be presentable and not sort of controversial in any way. Okay, I said. So uh, one of the sisters had bought me a <laughs> she bought me a pair of patent blue leather shoes, very stiff, very hard, very uncomfortable. But I put them on, and uh, and off we went. And um, I was teachable. I was ready. Yeah, I was ready for everything. Yeah, you were you were about thirty six or thirty seven years old at this stage, Ollie. Yes. And when time came for to be ordained to the priesthood, um, I had to go to um, to go to um, Heidelberg Stake Centre. Yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, the stake president was Ted Anderson. Yeah. And um, I turned up early, and nobody nobody was there, but except the the custodian, and he showed me around the place. And um, we we got to the high priest room, uh, not the high priest the. High councils. Anyway, they had all the all the all the pictures of the prophets were on on the wall, all the past presidents of the church. Yeah. And he put his arm around put his arm around me and he said, "See there, that's where the whisker stopped." <laughs> so I got the hint. <laughs> I got the hint. I I shaved them off when I went to the the dedication of the Sydney Temple. Okay. That's when they came off. Yeah, that was in what two thousand, I think. That's, no, that was uh, Sydney. Oh, no, no. That was eighty four. Oh yes, yes, you, you're you're right. Yeah, 80, 84, 85, Yeah. Okay, so Hinkley came to. Tell me about how your life has changed. Do you think? I mean, from from the path you're on, which which was not a bad path, really. You're a you're a, a single father. You're looking after your son, uh, and, and you yeah. had good good morals. You you know were 
uh, you know, not following a, a really bad path, but you became a member of the church. So how do you think your life has changed because of your membership in the church? Well, um, it's, it's given me purpose. It's given me a direction. Um, that straight and narrow, straight and narrow way is certainly a direction. And um, as it came to me once one day in Horsham, why is it straight and why is it narrow? Because you know exactly where you're going. And if you veer off, you know you're off the track. And you know where it is. You know how to get back on it. Very simple. And it's, it's, it's got that destination, that light at the end of the, well, the world, the tunnel can, be, can get pretty dark. Yeah. Um, and um, what was I going to say? Uh, something about. Oh, never mind. Um, yes. Well, as, as, as I said before, I know where I've come from. I know where I'm going and, and uh, I know why I'm here. And there's so much. And even in, with the temple, the, the temple work, six months before my wife died, Bridget died, I had a vision of her in a dream and I didn't understand it until after she died, I realized it was a picture of her in an afterlife. Yeah. And that was very interesting because she was in a, a place very comfortable, all mod cons, everything that she ever wanted, um, on the uh, apartment overlooking a beach, um, but she was alone, on her own, and um, accepting that. She had a smile on her, a little bit like the Mona Lisa. She knew where she was, and she knew why she was there. And, and, um, and okay. And then when I joined the church, I realized she was waiting for her work to be done. And, and this was before she died. I saw that. I had this vision. Yeah. And then making more more sense as I as I went on yeah, yeah. okay so I, I, I gather I gather you've um completed her temple work oh yes 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 yeah. yes all that's done my, my four generations have been done but Thanks. since I've, I've done that uh, I've learned that my mother all that all that my mother told me was not true <laughs> it was a lot of it's fairy tale so uh, my niece and her husband have been trying very hard to uh, come up with some family history, and they've, they've actually managed to dig up mum's crim criminal record with the Soviet authorities, with the KGB. Oh, really? um, she, she, she was pardoned. It was a blanket pardon all those political prisons back in 1990 when the wall came down. But it, it gave us some names, which I'd never heard of before. Yeah. So there's more questions than answers. Yeah. Uh, we still don't know where we are. Mm. With, uh, my family. Oh, it's alarm. I've got an alarm set for nine o'clock to uh, give the cat a pill. <laughs> just, just, I, I think uh, something that you said I'd like to reflect back on. You talked about the straight and narrow path. Yes. So we have this straight and narrow path leading to eternal life. Yes. But the the way that the word straight is spelt in the in the scriptures is uh, S T R A I T. Straight, as in a straight of, as in a straight of water, and so the the path to eternal life is not necessarily smooth, smooth sailing. Oftentimes that no. path uh, has its ups and downs and twists and turns. Sure has. 
Go ahead. And, and so, you know, being a member of the church doesn't necessarily mean that life will be a bed of roses for you, does it, Ollie? No, no, no. I, um, yeah, my, my late wife, uh, we had a wonderful marriage and, and, and loving, loving relationship and uh, 20 months of, of bliss and she suddenly died. And uh, that was quite uh, tragic. And there again, at the funeral, I understood the, the, the meaning of the word comforter, the Holy Ghost, the comforter. Yeah. Not just a revelator, but a comforter as well. Yeah. And uh, people that don't have the faith, don't, don't have that spiritual appreciation, don't understand that. Yeah. There is much, all those, all those pioneers, if you look into the church history, so many people, I, I, I've read that between Nauvoo and on the Mississippi and, and Salt Lake City, there's about 6,000 unmarked graves of, of the saints that didn't make it. Right. An awful lot of tragedy happened there, but those people pushed on and they knew what they were doing and, and they knew what they were sacrificing. Yeah. And it was all worth it. That's right. That's, That's right. amazing. It was worth it. Yeah. Anything was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oleg, what, what you've proved to me today is that uh, everyone has a story. Everyone has a story yes. to tell. Um, but before we close off, I'd like just to give you the opportunity to bear your testimony to us, if that's okay. Bear my testimony. Well, that's... Um... As I think I mentioned already, I know that I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm much loved, a precious being. And, and you, we're all unique. And we're all, all of us, uh, in our own way, gifted and, and um, precious. Like, 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 we're like the facets of a huge diamond. We all shine off with our own gifts, skills, and talents. And all precious to each other. And... and um, and Jesus is, is the center of the whole thing, Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have that light shining. From, and, and I guess it, it takes faith and uh, an application of that faith to bring that light out and let it shine. Um, yes, well, simply God is... God the Father is, is our Father, and Jesus Christ is uh, our Savior, our older brother, our spiritual Father. Um, and there's a Holy Ghost that, that's in us and around us and, and uh, guiding us, comforting us when the need requires. Yeah. But it needs that application of faith to access all these wonderful things. Um, and we're all brothers and sisters. The whole world. There's, um, yeah, I, I I got upset with a with a minister once. We there was a interfaith meeting and um, and uh, I said, well, what about uh, you know you see all these people that are, that are, hold the faith, they're blessed and and they they're saved. What about those people that didn't know about um, God or had another faith or ignorant of of uh, of the Savior? Oh well, they're damned. And I got quite angry. 
He was dismissing all these billions of people. Yeah. And, uh, uh, my brothers and sisters. Yeah. Yeah. And the restored, yes, uh, the restored yeah, gospel that's a, Christ is, is all inclusive. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and, and I'm so grateful to have this knowledge and have this uh, faith um, and have it, be able to share with my family and beyond as well, not just here, but the temple work for all those people who didn't have their opportunity. Yeah. And that's where it all fits in. Everything fits in in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. Everything right. fits in. It all makes sense. That's right. It does. Perfect But sense. you've got to be in it to understand it. <laughs> yes. It's 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 the only the only way to really gain a, a full knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to live it, to accept it and live it. Yes. And uh that's right. Put in put in your best effort. Uh yes. you know, you can't you can't gain a, a purely intellectual uh knowledge of the gospel through reading a book or whatever. It has to be applied. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Has to be applied. Yep. Anyway, Oleg, once again, it's been um, it's been fantastic talking to you tonight, and I appreciate your story. There's so many uh, similarities in in your story and mine. Maybe we'll have to get you to interview me one day. <laughs> uh, uh, there's some interesting interesting overlap there. But uh, thanks again yep. for your time, Oleg. I'm sure. I'm sure your story will be a, a positive influence on others. Um, I hope so. Your, your, your family will be able to... If you have an interesting story, story to tell, please contact us for our Instagram page or send an email to gatherin at proton.me. Uh, thanks again for sharing it. We really appreciate it. And, uh, You're we'll welcome. Be, we'll be in touch again. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye, mate.